0: Welcome to episode 13 of Virtually Relevant. I'm Eric. I'm Josh. And hey, I'm William.
1: And, today and we I'm Chris.
2: Have... <laughs>
0: well, today we have a special <laughs> guest, Chris Madsen from Immersive VR Education. Uh, welcome, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me out, guys. Uh, we're excited to have you. Uh, we're going to hit some VR news first, and then we're going to talk to Chris about Engage and all the exciting things that are happening there. Uh, obviously, with uh, the pandemic, interest in uh, online VR collaboration is at a an all-time high, so it's uh, a very good time to have this discussion. But uh, let's dive in a little bit. Uh, there's a, a, a leak of the, the upcoming HP headset uh we'd seen a, a teaser of it before, you know, very dimly lit, couldn't tell much from it, but we're getting some additional shots now. And it looks like a, potentially quite a nice headset. Uh they're doing some interesting things. You know, they've got the two front-mounted uh cameras, kind of very traditional uh Windows MR headset, but they have uh two cameras on the sides of the, the headset, which should give it a, a very wide tracking area for the hand tracking. And I'd be curious to see how that handles the uh, the room scale. Has anybody else uh, heard much about it? I just saw the announcement today.
2: Yeah, just the renders. Saw the uh, the, per- the the possible way that it, it'll look. It looks looks like a, a you know a nice refinement.
0: It looks like it's borrowing some features from the Index, which would make sense since they're collaborating with uh, Valve. But they've got the, the off-ear headphones, assuming that the leak is correct, which are probably my favorite feature of the, the Index. So I'm excited to see those leak down. I actually I backed the VR Ears Kickstarter uh, in order to get something equivalent for the Quest. Uh, there's also a knob that looks just like the IPD adjustment knob uh, on the Index. Ooh, so nice. I'm, I'm really hoping that we, we're going to end up with something that might be kind of a, a good alternative to the Rift S that, that's got, uh, you know, IPD slider, better sound, but uh, isn't, you know, coming in at the $1,000 price point of a, a full-scale index setup.
1: Yeah. It'll be interesting to see because one of the things, it's it's supposed to be a Windows MR headset, right? That's correct. That's the that's the rumor mill. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what the uptake on that is. I, I mean, Windows MR hasn't really had much staying power right so like a really polished headset may be the thing that really helps that that platform so
0: it could I mean it could be a very interesting uh headset if they nail the specs right <clears throat> my mm-hmm. my biggest concerns with uh, Windows MR have traditionally been that with only the two cameras the tracking was pretty dodgy yeah and uh, I never met a uh, Windows MR hand tracking controller that I liked uh but that the rumor is that this one's redesigned and that they are extremely similar yeah. to the Oculus Touch. They've ditched the touchpad. They've got joysticks. The button layout is actually very touch-like. So that could make it easier for devs to uh, support that without having to jump through too many hoops. So. Yeah.
2: Chris, what are your thoughts on uh, Windows MR?
3: Well, you know I'm an index owner, and I was thinking I don't have to look at another headset for quite a while but the, <laughs> yeah that's but, true but the the fact that this is a combination of valve plus HP plus windows i think it's uh very worth our while to pay this some close attention uh you know the the uh, hp uh reverb has fantastic visuals it's some of the best in class and then you couple that with the standout features of the index you're looking at something potentially very special there and i already like the pass through cameras of the index and i am I'm, what i'm hoping is that they really take that to the next level as far as resolution goes the the uh, color capabilities uh We could be. I'm excited. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Keeping a close eye on it. Uh, I think the big question is going to be the price point. <laughs> yes, uh,
1: exactly.
3: Is if,
0: uh, if it lands somewhere close to the Rift S, it may be a very, very interesting headset. If it lands up closer to the index, it's probably going to be an uphill battle.
3: <laughs> I, I will say that my very first thought in seeing some of these pictures uh, with the controllers, I did get that sense of fear that it's just going to be another Windows-style controller. <laughs> but there's, yeah. no, there's no way they're going to let that happen if they're working with Valve, right? At least, you know, that's my hope because I don't want them to feel like cheap plastic and be wishy-washy like you know unfortunately those windows
2: controllers have not not been so great this well, is true yeah you know there's something to consider though uh while a cheap plasticky feeling controller or or hmd that still has some really premium specs as far as like the display quality and and, and those things um that drives the price point down might be mm. an overall win um it, yeah. it might not be premium but it's not really targeted at the, the super premium market. I'll
1: I'll give some concessions on the on the the the, the hand feel of the controllers. Sure. As long as the tracking's solid and the the experience is, is good then I'm willing to you know I could honestly care less what the headset looks like from the outside mm. as long as the inside <laughs> really gives you
0: that you know that that comparable experience. I'm
3: with you on that. <laughs>
0: right. Now the the first gen headset from uh, from hp the reverb it i believe had some significant challenges with the screens when it first rolled out wasn't that uh the situation
1: was it the screens or did, is that the one that they delayed? oh no
0: wait that was the I think they cosmos had that sick, they bad a uh, bad mirror on the, yes. uh, the screens mm. and they had to, to fight with it for a while so it was a long time before it finally made it into the pipeline so okay. I'm, I'm hoping that they've gotten the, the kinks out of it on that first generation and that they can land on high resolution but uh, still meet quality control right.
3: and uh, meet demand. But, is is um, this going to be a headset that you can decouple from the uh, PC, I wonder? I mean, I, you see the, the cord coming out of that thing, but right. uh, do you think it'll be one that you can... Take I off. don't think Take off, so.
0: That's, that hasn't been the, the rumor, but that would be, mm. I, I would be very, very excited to see <laughs> a real competitor for the Quest, uh, a, a headset that's standalone, but also will tether. Uh, obviously, the standalone ecosystem's the big challenge with that. Right. Um, get a chicken or the egg problem, yeah. but the, the Quest desperately needs some good competition. I love the Quest, but the Quest needs a competitor. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. And that's that's one of the things that I, I love about this leak is that we are seeing a, a consistent reinvestment into furthering the technologies. I would absolutely love to see all the major hardware manufacturers, all the, the computer makers and, and whatnot out there, uh, all vying for some kind of foothold in this industry, making their own products. Because mm-hmm. more uh, innovation, more R&D into this industry at this point in the game is absolutely a win for all of us.
0: Well, we're yeah. in a, kind of a, an interesting moment because uh, with everyone kind of in lockdown right now, uh, people collaborating remotely, interest in VR is sky high. Availability of VR hardware is uh, <laughs> has been challenging, although that's starting to improve. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so... You know, hopefully, if that stabilizes a little bit, maybe that uh, that demand will stay high, that interest will stay high, and uh, we'll we'll see more people coming into the market and really putting in a good show. Um, are of- any,
3: Are any of you guys uh, uh, index owners?
0: I have one at my job. I don't have okay. a
3: personal one. I same, use it quite a bit there, there though. Cause I, I will say, um, for me, it really does have to have the 120 hertz or above. I am super spoiled, and it's really, really hard for me to go back to 90. It That's makes that big of a difference to me.
0: It's it's funny how different things uh, are, are critical for different people in, in comfort and in the sense of presence. Uh, I did double-blind uh, tests. like well, I guess not double-blind, single-blind tests uh, with people on the the different refresh rates, the 80, the 90, uh, the 120, and the 144 Mm. on the index and, you know, asked them to say, you know, what they thought the refresh rate was whether they thought it was higher or lower. Um, There, uh, over half the people, once they got up above 90, couldn't reliably tell at all. Mm. But the people who could tell very strongly wanted the higher refresh rate. So Mm. I think it's going to be vital for some people um, there's a strong rumor that the next generation Quest, or maybe the, the mid-generation refresh of the Quest, is going to uh, take some of the, the additional processing power from a, a processor refresh and use it to drive uh, a higher frame rate. Hmm. So hopefully we can get up out of the, the 70s and at least up to 90, which would be most welcome.
2: Yeah, I don't yeah. I don't see the industry sticking around it below in the sub 100 uh, refresh rate mm-hmm. for very long. I think it's just it's a matter of timing that we're just this is where the panels are for what they're pushing and and uh, uh, power optimization and all that. But I think, just, like you said, Chris, we're going to we're going to have that that um, 120 hertz plus and it's going to be ubiquitous, um, hopefully sooner rather than later.
0: Carmack was always pushing 120 specifically because it's an even multiple of both mm-hmm. uh, 30 frames per second, which is you know broadcast TV, and 24 frames per second, which is film. So you, you get the the cadence right on everything. So it's a really good number to land on if we can do it. As someone who's struggling mightily to hit 72 frames a second on the quest, uh, if we're going to land on it, please give me more processing power. But I would love very much to do so.
2: 240 uh, frames. You ready for that?
0: I, I, I wouldn't turn it down, but I, I'm going to need some extra processing power. So speaking <laughs> of the Quest, uh, May 21st was the first anniversary of the release. Mm. Uh, this has been kind of a remarkable year. Uh, I think it has done much better for them than they expected. And because of that, you see a lot of uh, changes in their strategy after the fact. They, they launched it intending for it to only be standalone standalone. Uh, they had no interest in hand tracking and all these things got added in after the fact because they realized this was their golden child uh yep. this was the the kind of perfect point for for mass market uptake and it's been amazing all of the things that have gotten added in through mm-hmm. you know, software updates in the past year it has grown considerably
1: yeah now the quest started out as sort of the middle of the road i think in you know platform but with the addition of link it's Almost almost exclusively what I recommend people when they ask me, you know, if they not not early adopters, but people who are like, hey, you know, I'm interested in VR, you know, what which headset should I get? And almost every single time now I'm telling them, hey, you know, look, if you want to play games on it, you know, you're not doing like any kind of heavy lifting with it, like go for the quest, you know, go for the quest and get a link cable because... You're going to be able to do way more. It's it it's the you know I, I use this a lot on the on the podcast, but it's the Nintendo Switch of VR. You can just pick it up and go, or if you've got the time and you've got the power and you've got the ability, you can just plug it into your computer and play some really heavy duty games on it, and and the experience is is pretty pretty close. It's pretty one to one. I so.
2: I really like the switch analogy because uh, yeah. you know like Nintendo presumed most people will be playing on the console most of mm-hmm. the time on the on the on the TV right, but yeah that's actually the opposite of what ended up happening like almost everybody plays in handheld mode because they're they want to have the freedom to be on the go or even if you're still at home and you're sitting on your couch and you you really have no reason you couldn't put it on the tv i still find myself playing handheld just because it's it's just easier right it's it's uh easier to pick up put down
0: I love the index. If I'm if I'm going to sit down for a reverse, you know get up and walk around for a, a an extended session with some really high end stuff, that's my headset of choice. But nine times out of ten, what I grab is the Quest because I can grab it in any room, uh, just trace out a boundary and I'm good to go. Um, yeah. If I need standalone, I'm fine. If I need tethered, I'm fine. It's just uh, it's a sort of a Swiss Army knife. Um, it's not without its compromises. I mean, the the, oh, the battery life is an issue. The comfort's an issue. A lot of people who've used it a lot uh, have modded it. I've I've Franken modded mine with a yeah. deluxe audio strap for comfort. But um, it's just a, a really remarkable piece of hardware, and and clearly they are doing well with it. They they said that they couldn't make them as fast as people were buying them, and that was you know before. <laughs> The market yeah. tanked, uh, or the uh, manufacturing tanked. But mm. they said that uh, they grossed over $100 million in the App Store in the first year, and more than 10 titles grossed over $2 million each, which is a really solid start for year one. And uh, I think we're going to see things ramp up significantly from that if the the supply chain picks back up.
3: It's been an incredible value to watch this thing just evolve before our eyes over the course of the last 12 months has been really remarkable. I've never owned a device that has evolved that much over such a short period of time. Yeah, You know, the hand tracking and now we're, looks like we're really starting to step into what I've always hoped for was that mixed reality functionality, which I think we're going to get into later. But wow, what a, what a value uh, that that headset is.
2: Yeah. I really love the idea of a piece of hardware evolving so much <laughs> through software optimization. You see, you saw similar yeah. things happen with um, the leap motion uh, hand tracking. Uh, yeah. Some real am- amazing gains there with firmware updates, or like uh, your Tesla cars, right? Um, oh. The software and enhancements, the crunching the the data and bringing it back. Um, was really uh, phenomenal stuff.
0: Yep. I certainly hope that if they do a sort of a mid-generation replacement, kind of like they did the Rift S for the Rift, if they do a Quest S, that they take a lot of this to heart. Because I mean the yeah. the tethering wasn't there by design. the The hand tracking wasn't there by design. And there were a lot of tweaks that could have been made that would make those a lot smoother and better. Uh, so I'm hoping that if we do get an update, maybe they swap out the uh, uh, OLED panels for LCD and take some of the savings and throw it into some some faster better cameras things like that. Um that could be really exciting for a mid generation replacement.
1: Yeah. So, uh you mentioned the the manufacturing issues and things yes. like that. So, uh HMD availability is obviously a thing with as many people as are jumping into this and as many people who have still since the beginning of the year uh last year or not the beginning but since it launched uh been trying to get a hold of quests. Um, they were in, then they were out, then they were back in stock for like five minutes, and then gone. <laughs> and uh, I randomly saw one at a micro center here in town, just at the store, which was shocking. Um, so I think right now uh, the quest ships
0: July sixth
1: is is what we is what the current state of things are
0: for North America. It's it's or, actually um, it's shipping faster than that for most of the rest of the world. Okay.
1: Well, at least there's that. I mean, but that's that's um, still
0: not a bad lead time. That's actually better than it's been uh, since Christmas for quite a while. Uh, so, but, so if you order it from Oculus,
1: you might get it before you order anything you order from Amazon right now. That's which true. Which is mm-hmm. nice. Well, I think
2: I think if you hold off until June, um, we should see some uh, some some more availability on the shelves.
0: Hopefully, I mean, hopefully we're coming out of this. The Rift S is still completely out of stock in, in the U.S. Um, I don't know if that's just because of the way they're prioritizing the supply chains uh but uh the quest is is starting to come back into availability and that's that's definitely exciting because the demand is is even stronger there than before we went into all of this
3: uh, i'll tell you it has been very frustrating uh for the enterprise sector i mean i know it's frustrating for the gamers but there's so many businesses really desperate to jump into the game right now and they are just uh, running up against the wall and i know with Josh's, Josh's company, my company, uh, we get a lot of incoming calls, and uh, the frustration is real.
0: Yes. <laughs> you know, talk about the fact that uh, we're seeing a lot of software updates enabling new things on the Quest. Um, controllerless hand tracking, which has been something hmm. you could enable as a, a beta feature for a while. Uh, is finally exiting beta with this uh, firmware 17 that just rolled out to most people this week. And we're going to see third-party apps supporting that uh, coming out this upcoming week. And that's that's definitely exciting. I've done a lot of coding working with uh, controllerless hand tracking, and it's, it's certainly got its limitations because, as we said, it was shoehorned in after the fact. The, the trackable area is a little bit limited. The... The the quality of the tracking can be a little bit iffy at a, a distance or at certain angles. But when it works well, it's magic. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And for certain applications, for things like media consumption or things where broad hand gestures work well, you don't have to see the 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 you know the fine details of uh, what your fingers are doing, uh, it can work extremely well. We have a number of titles that are coming out. I know a Curious Tale of Stolen Pets, Walt of the Wizard are, are kind of the two big headliners. The Elixir demo that they ran at the most recent Oculus Connect is in there, and there's some narratives as well. Uh, What are people's thoughts on uh, hand tracking coming out of beta and becoming a mainstream feature of the Quest?
2: I I mean... Go ahead, Will.
0: Well, I mean, I was just going to say, listeners
1: probably know my feelings on hand tracking. (laughs) Um, But, like, I had the Leap Motion. There are limitations to what hand tracking can do. There are absolutely applications that make sense. What I think is really going to help the Quest is the fact that it's built in. It's not an additional thing we have to slap onto a headset and, you know, like put a mount on the front of your headset and do all these things. So the fact that it's just built in and it, quote, just works, you know, Um, the fact that that's the, you know, a thing I think is really going to help it. Um, I am cautiously optimistic. I'm kind of waiting and seeing like, okay... Is it going to stick? Are you know our developers actually going to implement this to a degree where it's actually useful? Um, because yeah, that was the big thing is is there was just not enough content that utilized hand tracking to a degree that made it worthwhile. So if this is an option, what I like is that, like I said, it's built in, so it, right. it is it can be an option even if it's not the primary option. Um, so I, I'm cautious, cautiously optimistic about this. We'll see. I, I hope it does well because I I like the idea of hand tracking. I just I want it to be I want it to succeed, but so far the track record has not been very great.
2: I, I see a lot of uh, potential growth in mm. in business and enterprise, especially because you you couple together the portability of a uh, untethered headset with right. with a custom bespoke environment where you know exactly what the experience is like from the moment they put the headset on to the moment they take it off. And if you can make it so that they don't ever need a controller and they literally just throw the headset on and go and do the work and get it done and then move through it. And they have that natural feeling of connecting to this digital experience through the ability of just using their hands and having that presence. I think that's huge. And as that grows, I think, I I don't see a reason why any inside out tracking headset would ever not have some level of hand tracking built in moving forward because just the ability to even do some simple basic operations and navigate uh, intro menus and things like that without needing to pick up a controller or find it or make sure it's charged. That's, that's really like, like Eric said, when it works, it really is like magic.
1: Yeah. I mean that's one thing that the Go is missing right now. I recently fired up my Go after a while, and uh, the the controller wasn't working initially. Um, I had some issues with the the battery previously, and so it took me a while to get it working. But one of the things I I had hoped was that there would be at least gaze detection, menu navigation, and there's not. Right. Um, and so yeah, I agree. Like if you know if you're gonna put an inside out tracking, and there's gonna be the ability to do some form of hand tracking. Integrated it at the very minimum into your basic menu system yes. so that users who broke their controller aren't, you know,
0: out of luck in the meantime. They can
1: continue <laughs> using your product. Or, you know,
2: heaven forbid, Ian, you lost it or left it, you know, in the right, airport. Right. Or
0: <laughs> Ian Hamilton actually put forward a really interesting idea. I think it was on Road to VR. Uh, he was saying that uh, he could envision them replacing the Go with a controllerless quest that you could then upgrade to a full quest by buying the the hand trackers. But for just basic media consumption, some light gaming and so forth, you could just use hand tracking and that could be kind of a a point of entry that people could upgrade from there. Yeah.
3: Um, I got to say it it can be a real having the controllers only can be a real point of friction uh for people in the enterprise sector that are not Absolutely. traditionally gamers yes. um so many times I've given demos at at major stores right and you get a wide variety of people in there uh some of which have never touched a gaming controller in their life and it is can be a very big frustration, getting them to understand how the buttons work and whatnot. So having that hand tracking, especially as it progresses and gets to the point it really needs to be, is wow. really going to be a godsend for some of these folks.
2: I had a perfect example right. today. I was I was hanging out with my mom and I was introducing uh, Acrons as a multiplayer <laughs> game with my that you can play. I highly recommend it. You hear the chuckles in the room because we all loved playing it. It's, yes. it's a great <laughs> party game. Um, but I was showing my mom and she, she hadn't tried VR before aside from one time she tried a, a gear VR. And so I was trying to take her to that next level and trying to teach her. like, And Acrons is really not a complex, like there's really only one button you're pushing. It's the, the side trigger. And just getting over the fear of of looking like you don't know what you're doing and trying to understand and translate what's going on between the button press and what's actually interacting in the game was such a big hurdle for her that it took some some real time of like making her step back from the moment and really understanding what we're doing and walking her through step by step. After we played Akron, so I was like, look, here, just check out this menu s- section where I already had hand tracking enabled. And it it didn't take any time at all. Like She immediately took to it. She's like, wow, this is so cool. I can't believe you can do this. So that, that right there, um, you know, my, my mom is a represent, repre- representative of a large part of the population. And um, accounting for that is huge. Absolutely. Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, and as you move into applications that are targeting people who are not traditional gamers, things like training, uh, the idea of being able to not have to worry about the hand trackers, not have to worry about teaching people how to hold them, what buttons to press, where the buttons are, that is huge. Uh, We're potentially partnering with some people. To do some training, and they got very, very interested in uh, using the controllerless hand tracking because they felt like that would greatly reduce the the friction and the uh, the time it would take to get people acclimated.
2: So, Eric, you, you said you were having some some time uh, trying to hit the seventy frames. Um, how <laughs> yes. much how much overhead are you seeing being used by oh uh, for the hand tracking? The hand tracking
0: that's negligible. I mean, okay. a, a few percent. Um, I've wow. got it set. The, um, developers have the option to say whether they are targeting hand tracking or controllers or either. And so I've got my my stuff set to either. And I can if you set down the hand trackers, it literally just seamlessly jumps to native hand tracking. Uh, there's no real discernible change in the frame rate. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's a percentage point or two here or there, but um, it's not enough that it's even a factor in, in my design work.
2: Nice. That's good. That's good news. I mean, the yes. the idea that uh, this could be implemented kind of fleet wide for all hardware that does has this uh, similar capabilities. Absolutely. Um, it's
0: it's lightweight, and as you said, it's included. They're not having to strap an extra piece of hardware on. You know, it's it's available. And as since you can target both, if people are more com- comfortable with controllers, they can use them. If not, you set them down. And you use your hands.
2: Although I'd I'd really like the ability to make my own unique hand gestures and and map uh, (laughs) hotkey button actions. Like, you know, uh, launch Waltz of the Wizard by, you know, showing some kind of motion or casting a spell or something.
0: It's it's fascinating because one of the things we did when we were testing out the hand tracking was uh, throw people into it without giving them any guidance at all. And just seeing what they tried. To do certain things, and uh, one of the the things that we found was uh, extremely intuitive for people. Every once in a while, people would flip their hands over and look at their palm. And if you f- flipped up a menu when they did that, they got very excited. It was very discoverable. It was easy. It was oh well, let's see what's in my hand. What are my tools? And they flip it over, and then they can grab whatever tool they need. So there's um, a lot of potential there to take things that are extremely natural, like pointing or grabbing. Um, pushing throwing people love to throw uh, and integrating those and, and using those as your modes of interaction Chris yeah. seemed very excited about heading into the sort of uh, that gray area between VR and AR the the mixed reality mm. where you start doing some pass-through and blending the real world into your VR experience uh, obviously there is there's strong interest in this from the developers uh, the, the hardware manufacturers quest has uh, started rolling out a, a feature called Play Space Scan, which means when you trace out the boundaries of your, your guardian area, the safe space, it will identify objects that are protruding into it and highlight them and give you the opportunity to adjust them. And that by itself is not fantastically interesting, but the fact that it can identify things intruding into the play space suggests that they can start doing that in real time. If, mm. if someone walks into your play space or a, a cat is walking in front of your feet, things like that, they could highlight that, bring that into the VR experience and make you situationally aware. So Chris, what <laughs> are you excited about with the, the potential of the, the sort of mixed reality uh, gray zones?
3: Well, the, the first thing you just mentioned is sure going to make the uh, Facebook lawyer's anxiety decrease for sure. So, <laughs> good. <laughs> um, you know, I, I just love this idea of mixed reality where you can bring the virtual into your, you know, we've, we've got the HoloLens and I was a HoloLens owner for a number of years. And I loved it. It was fantastic, but it certainly had its limitations. And I became a strong believer that it's passed through, not see through, that it's going to get us to the real space that AR needs to be. And uh, because we can do so much more with that, you know, we can scan our surroundings. Uh, we can run that through and, and just really mesh the virtual and the physical together seamlessly you know if i want a crack to run through the center of my room and it opens up and there's a void and smoke coming out <laughs> it's not going to be a problem doing that i mean it's just fascinating and then there's the utility of that right where i can pull up as many screens as i want in my physical environment you know one of the challenges right now with with uh social vr right is if you want to share a screen like in big screen or whatever any of the social apps you have that challenge of where's my keyboard, where's my mouse, where's all these things. The fact that I can now easily see those but still not remove myself from that experience is a really big deal.
0: Yeah, absolutely. One of the, I mean, it's a minor feature, but one of the things I was most excited about in one of the recent firmware updates on the Quest was you can now double tap the side of the headset to toggle on those pass-through cameras Uh, so if I hear someone coming up and I want to talk to them, I can double tap it, I can talk to them, I can reach out, I can find my cup of coffee, I can find my keyboard, uh, but the idea of being able to do that much more seamlessly is certainly exciting. And, and
3: everybody can see the magic. One of my favorite things to do with the quest is to start somebody in a quest experience from outside of that boundary and have them (laughs) very slowly walk in and feel that transition into the hollow deck. Every single person without fail is mind blown by that experience. Yeah. It
0: it feels like that moment in Wizard of Oz where Dorothy walks out of the black and white house into the mm-hmm. technicolor, you know, Oz. I mean, it is that same experience. You're stepping from a black and white version of your home into some magical technicolor experience. Yeah. And yeah, the ability to step in and out of the virtual world is just it's it's funny because, I mean, they, you know, they see it as this sort of, you know, Technical thing for setting up guardian boundaries and so on But there's real magic to be had in playing with that boundary between the real and the virtual
3: and what this also sets us up for and I know you guys uh, who went to OC6. We had that experience uh, Where they talked about this where we're quickly reaching a point where instead of having a conversation blindly like we're having right now We can join any of you in your room, where we're gonna be scanning our environments, and I can literally step into your room, see your couch, and have a virtual seat on your physical couch, as though we're present in the same room. And we know companies like Spatial are already doing this, right? But that's just going to get better and better. And that's been a dream of mine for years. To, so to see that coming to fruition is very exciting. I mean, imagine grandma being able to join her granddaughter, six years old, birthday, yes. watch her blow out the candles as though she's present in that experience. That is powerful. I've, yes. I've
0: always said that, uh, that social, when it gets to the right point, will be the killer app on VR because you're eliminating geographical distance as a barrier. Uh, if you can step into someone's home from from thousands of miles away and be present for a birthday party, or even just play cards and watch a movie together, and really feel like you're sharing the space, yep. that is stunningly huge. I uh, think we're
2: all close. we're all jonesing for more uh, physical interactivity with people right now. Whether you're yes, it's true, you're uh, early opener or or play it safe, it doesn't matter because really we're all wanting to be in a, in a, in a world that was, you know, six, six to 12 months ago. And, um, we're all having to adapt. That plays into why, um, there's such a a demand for VR. Right. But the, uh, mixed reality, you know, kind of the quintessential, um, mode here is, is where I think, we still don't understand really how the brain interacts and 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 understands when you make it truly imperceptible between um, the blending between the worlds. Uh, like one of, one of my favorite anecdotes is actually from you, Chris, talking about um, you're playing with the the skateboards and the, and the uh. augmented reality. Uh, wall, right? Can you can you tell us a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, it was uh, back it, it was before Six Dock became a thing. We had uh, put a Project Tango onto a head mounted unit with the <laughs> original uh, Gear uh, VR Innovator Edition. Right? Can, can we, you can just we...
2: just a little exp- expand a little bit on that in case anybody that doesn't that's listening that yeah. doesn't know? So
3: so the Tango uh, was one of the earliest devices that used slam technology, where it was able to read your physical environment in three D and and and. And you could use, what we did is we used that captured data to feed it through to the Gear VR uh, so that we could actually do six-degree-of-freedom tracking way back in the day. And um, we did all kinds of crazy experiments. One experiment we did was we put a virtual wall up in a parking garage, right? And we would have people run full speed as fast <laughs> as they could because, you know, once you start doing physical activity – uh, it is going to kind of shut down your prefrontal cortex and it's going to activate your lizard brain, right? So <laughs> so you're really getting sucked into it just by the fact of exercising. So to run full speed, not feeling confident anyway because you're essentially blindfolded, and to run through a virtual wall, uh, most people couldn't do it. Uh, they would either fall down or just stop right before <laughs> they get to it the ones that did happen to make it through would be twisted up like a pretzel. (laughs) (laughs) And what we should have done, we talked about it later, is what we should have done for those ones that made it through, we should have put a cliff on the other side. But But very, very powerful to, uh, you know, doing those experiments. Uh, Yeah.
0: Well, Facebook's definitely showing strong interest. Uh, Michael Abrash's presentation at the most recent Oculus Connect, he put forward a vision of what a VR AR sort of mixed reality office space would look like. And this was an aspirational document. Uh, but we see them working very aggressively towards it. Boz put out a video just this week showing what I'm assuming is them playing with some prototype hardware where they had color pass through cameras and were able to expand out multiple screens over top of their physical desk. Um, they could see their hands, they could see the keyboard uh, a little nuance of it that hasn't been commented much on by, by people. It looked to me as if it identified the keyboard, knew what the key layout was, and when you put your hands over the keys, they were translucent. you could see the letters mm-hmm. on the keycaps, which I thought was a really nice touch but they're they're definitely uh, targeting and working towards a a, uh, a mixed reality paradigm, and that one of the the big knocks against vr and and a fairly valid knock is that as social as you're being in vr it is locally isolating uh and being able to integrate people who are physically in the same space look over see them they see you you can interact uh, that's very powerful and that takes a lot of that um that sort of negativity away from uh, effectively putting a blindfold on and isolating yourself in the local environment uh going into true ar uh, we've known for a while that Apple has been targeting AR. Uh, they they've been dabbling in VR. They're they're definitely interested, but they clearly see AR as the big prize. And they they had a Skunkworks operation going in Israel for a while with quite a lot of people. Um, and they're getting closer and closer to having something they can release. Uh, and we're starting to get some some leaks on that. Uh, the claim is that the name will be Apple Glass, which is interesting given the history with Google Glass, that they're targeting around a $500 price point, and that at least at the moment, the, the target release date is the end of 2021 or the first quarter of 2022. Uh, Josh, what are
2: your thoughts yeah. on that? A couple, couple of interesting caveats here. Um, so it it's not... The, the leak claims that there's not going to be any cameras except for a LiDAR uh, attachment, which is, um, it's a kind of like think of it kind of like a radar system to interpret your surroundings. It's like what they use for uh, autonomous vehicles and things like that. Um, and it will use your iPhone as a coprocessor, much like what the first generation Apple Watch did for um its processing power to use the iphone to kind of uh offload the heavier thinking tasks so to speak so that that could in theory get us to a place where you have some glasses that are are more affordable and uh very lightweight right i mean that's the key things here are going to be how lightweight is it how how much does it look like real glasses or does it right. look like some kind of techie thing like the google glass did um the the concept of you paying uh 500 plus whatever your prescription is and you just order them prescribed specific to you know those of us who are uh viewing impaired um uh, all work really well towards what Apple seems to be about, as far as their uh, mantra for hardware. Um, it definitely them taking forever and a half to make sure that they get it right and get it done, and right. and it it meets that Apple brand motif um, that really makes sense. And if you look, the iPad that I think it just came out or is coming out is going to have a lidar sensor as well.
0: The most recent one does actually, yeah. Yeah,
2: so. They're getting all this data right from all this this hardware that's out there in the wild, and can very easily. I mean, let's let me not boil that down. <laughs> they can, because it's their data. They can grab all that data, and crunch all the numbers, and build something into an an algorithm that can understand the world quickly enough with low end equipment enough to get us at this. Consumer ready price point, right? Because the the, right. the Apple Watch is about five hundred dollars, Google Glass being about five hundred dollars makes about makes sense. You know, you go into the Apple store, you're like, here's two thousand dollars, give me my iPhone, my watch, <laughs> right. my glasses, or and here's an extra two hundred dollars for my AirPods. <laughs> you know, one the of whole the whole ecosystem.
0: One of the things that I'm most excited about I'm I am very excited about Apple targeting AR, and I'll tell you why. Apple is extremely aware of st- style and social acceptability. the The Hololens and, and the Hololens Two they're they're amazing pieces of tech. But even as uh, impervious as I am to uh, <laughs> the the whims of fashion, I would feel awkward just sort of walking around the mall wearing a Hololens. <laughs> it is it is not a socially acceptable piece of hardware. People would stare very much. Uh I guarantee you whatever Apple comes out with is going to look cool. It's going to look stylish and acceptable and people will not flinch uh at the thought of wearing it. Um I suspect that as useful as a uh, a visible light camera would be on AR glasses, they probably learned their lesson from Google with Google Glass. There was a huge backlash against Google Glass because it could record at all times. And people didn't like the idea of someone walking in and potentially mm-hmm. recording them. Uh, it felt like an invasion of privacy. I mean they, they would refer to them as glass holes and um, I get that uh, it's It's frustrating because that's a very useful tool, but I certainly understand them going lidar only uh, because that just takes that entire concern out of the equation. You, and maybe that's be able to wear it all the time later yes i mean that's that's where AR really shines i mean people. You know, talk about AR. You know, in these sort of like Hololens type contexts, but where it really shines is, it's on my face from the time I walk out of my house until the time I go to bed. I'm um, I'm walking into uh, a restaurant in a foreign country and I can read the menu because it's translating in real time. I'm walking down the street and it's putting the Google Maps directions directly onto the sidewalk. Uh, I walk up to someone that I've met before and it's throwing their name and their job description out next to them so that uh you know I automatically remember who they are that sort of thing is where AR shines and where it will cross a line where we're so used to having that additional layer of information on top of everything we do that we will feel less human when we take them off um but you have to hit certain targets as far as I mean it's got to last the whole day on the battery it's got to look socially acceptable. It's got to be comfortable. And these are all things that are very uh, Apple-centric. These are these are their strong points. So I'm excited that they are uh, jumping into this.
2: Absolutely. I, I mean, having anybody that is going to invest this much money into ubiquitous hardware that is going to uh, exemplify... What it's capable of and build it at the root of everything, like Apple does, um, is going to make waves. And I, I mean, I, I really honestly don't care what they look like. I'll probably have one day one. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's interesting
0: because I had actually jumped from the, the iOS ecosystem to the Android ecosystem because of the Gear VR. Yeah. I may end up making the jump back because of the Apple Glass.
3: So it let's would talk- be my it would be my first foray into Apple actually, and I would absolutely do it at, the, at a five hundred dollar rate. That's an incredible price.
0: Yes. No. That's that is a uh, a price point that uh, that is accessible to a lot of people. It's it's not inexpensive, but it's it's something you can stretch to if it's something you want yep, badly. That's well, right.
2: and and if you think about the history of the iPhone, right? Like it didn't really start to hit its stride to like the three G, 3G, three Gs, right? The first, right. yeah, definitely three like, Gs. A yeah. couple of generations in, so it just think about the general velocity of the, the XR industry I and mean, where the AR glasses are purported to come out, which the, the leak said that they were going to say it was, it was an announcement. It was not a release product, but it was supposed to be an announcement at this year's iPhone uh, announcement. Um, uh, uh, right. Conference. Know, right. One more thing. That right. Do. Yeah. Um, but even if it comes out in the next couple of years, I would easily see sometime this decade um, some truly gradient uh, XR glasses from Apple to the point where, you know, you can choose how much is AR or all the way into VR.
0: Right. No, I mean, that's that's powerful is where you can kind of slide between total immersion and total real world and find the, the point that makes sense at the moment. Let's let's talk a little bit about VR collaboration because, uh, as we've said, that is something people are very excited about. Uh, most of us who have kids, they're they're doing remote learning from home. Uh, so, you know, class from taking a class from home is becoming a very uh, common and accessible thing. Uh, and most of us are are working from home and are collaborating from home. So VR collaboration software, one of the big players in this marketplace is, uh, engage from immersive VR education. And that is Chris Madsen's company. Uh, Chris, can you talk to us a little bit about engage and, and where it fits into the, the ecosystem and, uh, the, the online VR collaboration world?
3: Sure. So engage, you know, it's, uh, collaboration tool that focuses primarily on events, education, training, and communication. Engage has been around actually for a very long time. In fact, its roots go all the way back to 2013 with the DK1. And I don't know how many of you uh, remember, it, it was my first introduction to social VR was Riftmax. Well, Mike Armstrong was the developer of that platform. And that was Most of our first tastes into what's possible uh, with social VR and anybody with a developer kit back in the day could discover this platform and interact there. We used to do all kinds of crazy things from, you know, uh, Friday night karaoke to watching movies (laughs) to roundtable discussions all hours of the night because, you know, everyone was joining from all parts of the world. Uh, in fact, it was, you know, when I first tried that experience, that's when I determined that I was going to leave a path of uh, behavioral science of 20 years and jump full board into social VR because I recognized that that it was going to change the way people do business, how they socialize, how they receive education. It absolutely blew my mind that uh, this was possible. Um, so all of us were playing around. So our lead developer Mike Armstrong is part of our engaged crew. Our CEO David Whelan and COO Sandra Whelan were part of that original crew back then as well. All of us playing in that space. So our roots are pretty deep when it comes to social VR. And all of this time, while we've been developing our signature titles, such as Apollo 11, which is one of the best-selling educational titles out there even to date, uh, Titanic, uh, Berlin Blitz, all of these signature titles um, have kept the company going and have done very well. And all this while, we've been cre- building Engage in the background and... We went out of early access about a year and a half ago, and here we are today, uh, rocking and rolling. And uh, you know, thank goodness that we have platforms like this. Uh, with the social distancing that's happening right now, and yeah.
0: So, let's, what are some of the differentiating features of Engage? There's there's a lot of players kind of targeting this uh, collaboration and social interaction in VR niche. What sets Engage apart and makes it distinct?
3: Well, one thing people are going to notice right out of the gate is we jump straight into full body avatars. This is full body using IK. Uh, You can use your real face uh, from a single photo, convert that into a 3D avatar. Uh, So we've never shied away from that. I know, you know, the trend was going heads and hands, but we've really embraced the full embodiment. Can you talk about IK? Yeah. So, you know, uh, IK is, is a never ending work in progress. You know, we all, I think all social platforms have a long ways to go. Yeah. We could have just gone with the hands. And in the case of, of, uh, you know, some of the standalone headsets, uh, we do default to some heads and hands, but we're really trying to push that full body capacity as much as we can because we feel that the IK system is just going to continually get better and better as we go along.
2: Yes. Um, for those of you out there listening and, and trying to understand. Uh, but yeah, I can
3: uh, uh, yeah, the so the IK. What IK is is inverse kinematics. So uh, you know, we only have three points of input when it comes to the body. We've got the head and we've got our two hands with the controllers. So it's very difficult to guess where all of the other joints in our body are based on those three points of input. So um there's software out there that allows the computer to best guess where all the body parts are relative to those three points of contact. And of course, the more trackers you get on the body, the more accurate it's going to be. It's actually very, very good if you simply add three additional trackers, one to the hip, two to the feet. And uh, it's pretty impressive at that point. And honestly, I would say, if you've got six trackers, you know, I'm sorry, five trackers plus the headset you're really good to go. You can do some very impressive stuff with that. But even with 3, the IK is pretty decent.
0: You know, it's the the social VR platforms that have really kind of pushed the boundaries on uh, body tracking and hand tracking. Um, I mean, you saw use of the Leap Motion and support for, you know, Prio VR and all these other uh, input devices uh, coming up in those. So that's it's kind of an exciting spot. And... I'm going to throw some questions out, and if they end up crossing into things you can't talk about, (laughs) by all means, just say so. It's not a problem. Um, Hand tracking is uh, going live. Controllerless hand tracking is going live this upcoming week. Uh, Is that something that you guys are supporting on the quest?
3: Uh, so it is, it's on our roadmap, I can't give any dates on that, but certainly on our roadmap. I mean, that is the future. We need to have hand tracking. Like I alluded to earlier when it comes to training and, and certain, uh, verticals, hand tracking is going to be very important.
1: And from a, from an IK standpoint, you're still going to be able to use the exact same three points yeah. as you would if
0: you, if you had two controllers.
3: That's right. Except yeah. now that you got, now you got all those nice, awesome exactly. f- finger <laughs> movements in there too.
0: <laughs> right. And for, for, so I, I'm definitely a person who talks with my hands. So yes. uh, when it, in a <laughs> social too. situation, being able to gesture and point and uh, and have my hands be part of my communication is uh, a very exciting thing and makes me feel a lot more present. Yeah, I, yeah. Just,
2: I just want to throw out that like when we're talking about social settings and we're talking about. What makes this visceral? What makes this real? What makes this poignant to us? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's the little idiosyncrasies of everyday interaction, right? It's yeah. Hey, I, I walk up to you, and you know, every time I see you, I give you a high five, or yeah, right. every time I see you, I do like a little gnarly sign or something, or we shake hands, right? Like it's so yep. hard to to really cope with what's going on today because. I'm I'm a very social person. I'm I'm am a born and raised Texan. Like <laughs> I shake everybody's hand. I I I want to do that and it's so hard to prevent myself it, from doing it, that right now. But it means a lot. It, it does. really has great it really meaning. Does.
3: People often ask me, can you feel a hug in VR? And the answer is, yes, you can. You can feel a hug in VR. You might not physically feel the hands on your shoulder, but it's, an, it, it's a very similar emotional uh, response when you give someone a hug in VR.
0: Right. Absolutely. Now, up until recently, Oculus has been very limiting on what it allows into the uh, the Oculus Store on the Quest. Uh, mm-hmm. Only they they want to make sure it has uh, broad appeal. They're generally targeting yep. games, but thankfully, I guess one of the few upsides of this entire uh, pandemic fiasco is that they are suddenly saying, hey, collaborative stuff is maybe welcome in the store soon. Does that mean that we may actually see a non-sideloaded version of Engage coming soon?
3: Well, what I can say is uh, I applaud Oculus for it looks like they are definitely going down that track of opening uh, it up for collaboration platforms. Um, I think that bodes very optimistically for us and uh, for sure. We would like to. Who wants to sideload? You know, right? Yeah, <laughs> we'd already be on the store. So, not much I can comment on that. But okay. uh, it looks optimistic for all folks, such good. as us.
0: Yeah, that is good. Uh, I'm I'm certainly uh, very hopeful that that, that uh, pans out for you, and very soon. Now, one of the things that's I mean, when I mean, you look at all the different collaboration platforms and social platforms, there's there's certain things that are differentiating features. Yes, and. Yeah. One of the things is how many people you can engage with at a a particular time. Like, big screen has some wonderful features, but it has a very limited set of people that you can connect with and share screens with and so forth. Engage has hosted some fairly large events. Is that correct?
3: That is correct. So how it works for us is we feel comfortable hosting 50 people at a time. And, And, you know, we could go higher than that, but we are also targeting our, you know, Android users, right? Our, our, our standalone True. users. So we do have to uh, make some concessions there. But right now, we can comfortably host 50 people at a time.
0: That's uh, that's remarkable. And that's a number that, that makes a lot of things possible, meetups and yep. classes and so forth. That's um, Most classes target less than 50 people. So that, that would work very well for that. Um, and, and it's something that's not possible on certain platforms.
2: What can you do to go beyond 50
3: users? So there are current options right now is is our one of the things that makes us stand out is our Uh, Projected Presence. And what that is, is we have a 3D spatial capture recording. So the way that works is when I hit that recording button, I can record everything that is happening in my environment, including myself as an avatar. And I'm recording that in complete 3D, six degree of freedom. And I can play back that recording and I explain it to people. It's like rewinding time to relive that experience. You can literally step into that scene as it occurred, uh, you can walk around yourself and you can think of the ways uh, that works for training purposes, right? All of right. a sudden, you can step out of your own body and watch how you actually perform that task. Pretty big deal. Uh, so one thing we can do is record ourselves and then play that back into multiple rooms. Now, the ideas we have around that is, you know, wouldn't it be great to take that data that you're doing in that capture and be able to project it essentially live into an endless number of rooms? Right.
1: And from a, from an educational standpoint, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. You know, one of the biggest problems I have or have had historically with like distance learning is You know, it doesn't feel like you're getting that same classroom experience. You don't really feel like you're getting the same environment. It, you know, it it almost feels like you're teaching yourself most Mm -hmm. of the time. And whereas if you, if you did something like recorded a lecture, um, you know, if someone recorded a lecture like that, and then that you were able to go in and whenever it suited you pop on a headset and and experience that lecture, obviously you can't ask questions real time, but for the most part, you're going to get the same experience of that professor teaching a subject um, live in person, seeing all, you know, their hand movements and everything like that. And watching, you know, this, this presentation a lot better than you would out of like a PowerPoint presentation or, you know, just read these chapters and come back to us. You know, it's, it's a much more immersive educational experience, um, which is, is potentially a path forward for us. you know, after this pandemic clears up because, you know, things, things are the way they are and, and, you know, short, smaller classes, Uh, People shifting over to distance learning full time because it may suit them better, you know, whether they have immunocompromisation or, you know, other things like that where they have to be worried. This still gives them that same experience while still preserving, you know, their, their safety.
3: Absolutely. I'm glad you bring that up, William, because that is is our plan is for teachers to be recording their own content and Mm -hmm. putting it up to the libraries for consumption. And one of the cool things that you can do with those spatial recordings is you can then take those into our content creator or what we call our editor. And you can enhance those recordings. I don't know if you guys got a chance to come to the HTC conference, but we had folks like Peter uh, Diamandis and uh, Alvin Wayne Graylin up there talking, and they had enhanced their talks with, uh, you know, 3D trains bashing through the screen into the audience, (laughs) whales flying through the sky. And... uh, Peter even had Socrates come, up, or Plato, I should say, Plato come up and meet with him on the stage and interact. Uh, you know, that's where the real magic happens. It takes it beyond your standard uh, talk and takes it way beyond a PowerPoint. Which those who know me, this is my mantra these days: is beyond the PowerPoint. You're going to hear me say that a lot this year. You know
0: yeah. that that's actually one of the things that I was most excited about. It was the first or the second time that I uh, spent time and engage. Um, it was with you, Chris, and you threw me into a college lecture, and you know they had the screen up there showing information. But the the lecturer was also bringing models into the world around me, and things were were happening around me, and inevitably, when you shift into VR, at least with our current hardware, there's going to be compromises. There's things you're you're giving up. But if it additionally brings things that are not possible in the real world yeah. that are even better than in a traditional classroom setting, then suddenly yes. that becomes a very compelling use case.
3: It yeah. needs to be better than. And, and I think the one you're actually referring to was the one where the uh, Oxford professor actually opens a portal into venus the surface yes. of venus and uh, it's in the bodleian library at oxford right and all That's of a sudden it's so hot on the planet's surface <laughs> that it catches the entire library on fire now, that's the kind of learning that you don't soon forget, you know?
1: It's it's like uh, it's experiencing an episode of the Magic School Bus from back yes. in childhood. Yes, it, it's, exactly. You know, come on, kids. Today, we're going into the human body, and we're going to see how the cells react. That's you know, what I'm talking about. Just being able to, about. like, transport your students into something. And and that's the thing is, you know, it's it's an apropos name, engage. You're really, right. you know, yeah. you're engaging the audience or your students or whatever platform, you know, you're, you're really, you know, yeah, that was pretty, uh, <laughs> but you're engaging those people in a different way.
3: You know, we have a partner that we're working with, Burcastle. Their slogan is, if you're, if you're not having fun learning, you're doing it wrong. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Engage is all about fun. It's about experience. It's about getting that heart race going. We partnered recently uh, with River. Uh, to do some ex- experiences they're the ones that, uh, out in uk they they specialize in photogrammetry right so to bring those real world environments into a virtual environment where you can get trained by fire specialists on how fire started and and uh, these sorts of trainings is remarkable um, but part of vr is you know when you're experiencing one of these things where the fire is bursting out and you got sirens roaring uh, s- uh, fire engines pulling up everybody in that audience, even though they're observing it, their hearts are racing. And that's one of the valuable things about VR. When you're doing training, you need that adrenaline rush because it replicates what you would feel in reality. I mean, if you're not getting that adrenaline rush, you're not getting the real training because that's part of training is to be able to overcome those feelings in order to do your job.
0: Absolutely. No, I mean, I remember... uh... Going through an active shooter training and being genuinely shocked by the degree to which I froze Mm. and uh, was not able to, even though I knew exactly what I was supposed to do, I'd been walked through it in advance. I was not doing it quickly or well because... uh, of the adrenaline uh, and the, that that immediate shock value of someone pointing a gun at you yeah um, uh,
3: w- one thing i wanted to say that uh, a lot of a lot of people ask me they're like really what's the difference between doing things on a screen and doing it in vr and i want to say one big difference when it comes to 3d objects you know in the real world when when you're out somewhere uh, when you have items that are far away from you, you only notice those things if they're in stark contrast to the environment or they pose a danger or there's movement. But when something comes within your grasping zone, your brain goes into this hypervigilant state. You're noticing details about those objects within your grasping zone much more clearer. You're, you're receiving a lot more data. You're hyper-focused. But when you can reach out and actually grab the object, your brain goes into its most hypervigilant mode. In fact, when we implemented the ability to grasp an object, um, I actually asked our developers if they had done something new with our models because I was noticing details I had never noticed before. That's the power of VR. You can't go into that hypervigilant mode in your head by watching a computer screen. You just can't. So that in itself, this, this enhanced way of receiving data is very important.
0: You know one of the things that there was a a professor that came in and talked to us at a recent event, and uh, she studied uh, training in VR and learning in VR and she said that the the big differentiating factor was, factor was engagement and she said engagement drives retention mm-hmm. uh, if you're excited if you yep. are if you feel like you're interacting if you feel like you're there if you feel like you know these things are are tangible and real uh that drives an excitement and when you're excited about something you remember it i mean that's you can you can spew off all this information that you heard because you were excited about it uh there's always it's always going to be more exciting to walk into an environment and experience something than it is to read about it on a a printed page or to watch Mm -hmm. a powerpoint presentation of it so i think for education uh that that engagement value is incredible
3: Yep. And, and even the bonding socially, right? I mean, you talk to any gamer that's uh, playing like Call of Duty and these sorts of things, those gamers and their squads, they have an intense bond. They really do. Um, and that's because they're going through experiences together. That's amplified even more when you're talking about a virtual reality environment, when you're partaking and participating in these experiences at that level of realism it does impact the way you bond with people. And that's one of the value adds for social VR is um, it's so close to the real world, but yet you're having these, such these intense experiences, it does enhance the bonding.
0: So looking beyond just the current generation of hardware, the current generation of software, big picture, engage, what are some of the the things that you would love to do uh, in social and collaborative and educational VR? that that will take it to the next level.
3: Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you, once we open up our user content pipeline and people can start uploading all of their own content, it's going to be the user base that is going to take us to the next level. Um, as you've seen in spaces like Rec Room and VR chat, it's all about the users. You know, it, the things that make those platforms amazing is what the users are creating. So I can only imagine what these professors and students and, and people in general are going to be able to build on our platform once everything becomes accessible. You know, it's this ability to take what's in our mind and very easily bring that in like you would a PowerPoint into virtual reality. I don't have much in the way of technical background training, uh, but our editor is so easy to use. I suddenly find myself in this position where I'm creating. I've become a creator. I never realized I would be a creator. And it excites me to death to see that I can take what's in my imagination and make that come alive in a virtual environment, so um, i'm excited to see what the community brings it's going to be you know, amazing
0: i 'm going to get on my soapbox just for a moment here whenever you're shifting to a new paradigm, a new medium and this is this is something the this is a drum I beat periodically you have an opportunity to establish what people's relationship with that medium is, whether it's passive or active, whether they are consumers or creators and VR is you, know, you, you look back at like television where people are sitting and passively consuming content that has been created for them. VR is a, a paradigm where people can absolutely be creators and they can interact with things and they can build and they can share. And so when people are creating platforms where that is encouraged and, um, and is distributed and appreciated... I get very excited because I would very much like for VR to be a collaborative, creative, active platform rather than a passive, consumptive platform.
3: Yeah. And we've always said we're really not content creators. Yes, we do our signature titles. But when it comes to Engage, it's about us building the tools for the people to be as creative as they need to be.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. No, that's, that's where it gets really exciting is you, you create good tools and you hand them to people and just see what happens. And people will often do completely amazing things. Yep. All right. Well, uh, Chris, is there any, uh, final thing you want to share with us or,
3: uh, we're excited about the future. I will say, uh, you know, people you hear, still here, even today, VR is dead and all this nonsense. <laughs> um, I've never been busier in my life. Our team has never been busier. Uh, you know, business is booming when it comes to VR collaboration and social VR. The world is looking at ways to connect and, and, and digital technology is allowing that on many different platforms, not just ours. But, uh, this is, ex- I believe this has excelled social VR, VR in general. Any of these social technologies, it's accelerated at two years, at least in my opinion.
2: Can you talk a little bit about, uh, the HTC announcement? Yeah, so this was just announced. We're very excited.
3: Uh, HTC, uh, has partnered with us and they have invested $3 million into the company. And uh, we're going to use much of that money for marketing, sales, just really Uh, thankful to them for that investment that will allow us to take it to the next level. I mean, we do so many exciting things on a near daily basis, and uh, we don't have a large enough megaphone to really announce those things and give us a chance to beat our chests a little bit. And I'm really excited to be able to broadcast more widely as to the awesome things that we're doing. Awesome.
2: Good to hear.
0: That's excellent. Uh, You guys definitely deserve to be more widely known. Uh, I hope we see you in the Oculus Store soon, and um, see some some real uptake in the the university classroom and even in the you know high school classrooms. Oh,
3: thank you so much! You so guys Chris, have always been great supporters. Thank you, Houston VR. Huge shout out to you guys.
0: Thank you very much.
1: So, so Chris, uh, where can people find you? Where can people find uh, information about Engage? Uh, you know, put out your information so our listeners can can find. Find you
3: so the best place to go is our website at engagevr.io and uh, you'll find all of the information there you can reach out to any of us as business developers uh, all of the information is there our download is there uh, we do support pretty much every device at this point in time um, and then uh, you, uh, I do have a very active Twitter feed personally it's at deep on the Twitter deep underscore rifter I should clarify and, uh, yeah, that's the best way to reach us. Well, Chris, right. thank
0: you so much for coming out and uh, talking this evening. We're really excited about the work you're doing uh, and, and definitely want to get it in front of as many people as possible. Uh, thank you all for listening, and uh, I hope that you're doing exciting things, and please contact us and share them. So thank you all.
1: Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Virtually Relevant. This podcast is produced by the leaders and community members of Houston VR. We'd just like to take a moment to invite everyone to our Patreon page. Our team spends countless hours and resources to make sure we bring you the best content, the newest innovations, and create awesome events for our community. Please consider becoming a patron today and lending your support to ensure that we're able to continue providing the content and experiences you want.
0: Visit patreon.com slash and become a member today.